This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. The Mariners get the day off today as spring training well underway, and we're going to be out there in a matter of uh, days, right? What is it, 10 days, 11 days, I think? But you know this, there's no rest for the wicked. That's right, and we've got the wicked with us right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. You know him, you love him, does a great job covering the Mariners for the Seattle Times. Our buddy Ryan Divish is here with us. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm enjoying a day off, actually. Uh, although I don't know if it's a day off if I'm walking through the Scottsdale Mall, but, you know, how it is. Oh, man. <laughs> what are you shopping for? Uh, I'm not. I'm following. I'm just following around. My girlfriend is here. The kids are here. So I'm just following around, being a chauffeur. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Know your role. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, what's uh, what's what's been your, your takeaway so far? I know it's early, what, 11 games so far and seeing a lot of people out there. Obviously, all of the focus out here, Ryan, is on, on Jared Kelnick and what he's done, and it's great to see what he's doing. I've said that I think it, it's, it means more. We always dismiss stats, good or bad. We always say it's spring and guys are working on things. Don't take it too seriously. For him, I look at it and say, man, this is – this has a different impact because of his struggles, because of the spotlight and everybody waiting for this guy. I think just him seeing success, seeing the ball land in the outfield or go over the fence, I think might mean more to him than it would to another player. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, like the whole idea of, well, yeah, the spring training stats, however you use them, you think they're important or you don't think they're important to fit your narrative or your opinion you're trying to prove. You know, it's it's not it's not whether they're, I mean, realistically, they're important whether or not it's important to the player, like you said. I mean, you know, for Jared, you, when you're doing this many swing changes and this much, you know, the, a whole shift in how you're thinking about your swing or actually thinking about your swing in a different way, all the things that he's doing to have some results, I mean, that's that's the key thing. You know, I think the big thing is, is like, yeah, the ball's going over the fence, and that's great. And there's, But what it is is, like, he's hitting the ball hard without – swinging as hard as he possibly can. And I think that's the biggest thing. Like the result is this, like, you know, hit the ball hard and good things will happen. And I think what has happened more is he's hitting the ball hard more often than in the past. Like, you know, when he hit a ball hard in the past, yeah, it went somewhere. I mean, he, he hit 20, you know, he's got 29 home runs and 500 MLB at bats. I mean, that's a season, you know, like it's, it's significant, but, he's hitting the ball more often. He's hitting on the barrel. He's hitting it hard more often. And I think that's what we're seeing. And, you know, like if you're making those sort of changes, you want to have some results, maybe not necessarily the home run, but you just want to see that, okay, I've done all these changes and good things are going to happen from it. And I think that's what we're seeing. It's important. Again, like whether or not, yeah, I don't, the, the, the home runs don't carry over into the, the major league season, but the attitude and the mindset can carry over to the major league season. I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, and Divish, are you? I saw a guy breaking down on uh, MLB Network, kind of his swing that he's not gripping the bat as tight. He's not as intense. It just seems like he's he's more relaxed. Is that is that what you're seeing, or is there anything that uh, that stands out that's different with his approach that you see? No, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. But yeah, like that little elbow twitch that he has in the back. It's a timing mechanism. It's a way for him to not grip it so tight, not be so intense. And- Tense and, you know, like rigid at the plate. But you look at it, he's really balanced. You know, he just looks comfortable. Like in the past, 
it seemed like he was just like trying to find all these positions to maximize power output when he didn't really need to. So he's like just totally loaded up. Now it's just more of a, a comfortable look at the plate. Um, you know, he went to a guy, a swing guy, Robert Vensayak, who's like, you know, this guru of hitting, that equates hitting to samurai swords and stuff like that. And the big thing that Jared said is he learned about hitting. I mean, if you look back at growing up, you know, I think his dad was largely his hitting coach most of the time. You know, he had a way of hitting. He could always just kind of go out there and do it and be the best player. But now when you're facing pitches that can execute and throw pitches where maybe you will have a hole, you have to rethink some things. So what Jared did with this guy is learn about why the swing works and what things need to go into it. Like he, he learned all the physical kinesiology of it, all the physics of it, of why a swing works and when it works right. And I mean, like he writes it all down. It was like the other day. It was funny. He had, he had the two home runs in the one game. And then the next day he was over there. I looked in, I saw into the video room. He was in there. He was watching the swings, writing down every pitch, taking notes on every pitch on what he saw and what worked, what didn't. I mean, that's, that's the intent this kid has right now. I know that everybody says, oh, you know, he's got to have fun. He's got to loosen up. Look, he'll loosen up when he has some success. I really think that. But right now, if he's focused on doing all the right things and learning this and being good at this, you can't fault him for it. I mean, not everybody can be Julio or Gino Suarez. Sometimes you have to have the hardo in the group to really work, make it work. I'm sure that was Wyman. I mean, like, you know, game day, people are – game day, he's slapping himself in the face. Somebody's spitting in his mouth. You know, I know that you got to have the hardo in the group. Oh, God, I hope that wasn't happening. Uh, we didn't go that far. In his man. mouth. Um, have, it, Ryan, have you had a chance to speak with him much so far in spring? And if so, does he seem more relaxed or just more in tune with himself, more mature? I don't know. Any any difference in his his presence? Um, subdued is a very good word I would use. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever be totally relaxed. You know, I mean, this is a clubhouse that has Ty France and Suarez and all those guys, so he may not look as – relax but I think he's very focused and he's really trying to put the outside noise you know away from him I think he's you know getting away from Wisconsin and the pressures that come from back home um, you know doing this being on his own a little bit more understanding who he is as a person I think is very important for him I think that's going to change him you know like Jerry came from a very different upbringing than Julio or from other players from Ty France whatever he didn't go to college he just kind of lived a different way and I think it's taken him a little bit longer to kind of figure out who he is as a person and as a player. And I think we're starting to see it now. Maybe it took, you know, being away from family and living in Arizona and doing some of the stuff on your own and, and figuring it out on your own. And I think that's what he's done. I think it'll be beneficial in the end. I mean, everybody kind of goes through that growth for of maturity. I'm still waiting on mine, but I'm hoping someday it comes. <laughs> it'll, it'll never happen as long as you're in this business, Divish. It, it's an extension of childhood. Well, well, that might not be much longer either, so yeah. you never know. <laughs> hey, well, the other thing, too, about Jared, and, and he has taken, I think, some un- unwarranted heat from, you know, just because of the way he, you know, some of his manners or mannerisms or whatever, but the one thing, you know, we, we talked about last week is I've never heard anybody complain about him. It seems like his teammates are okay with who he is, and that's got to mean a great deal to him as well. Yeah, I mean, nobody questions whether or not Jared cares or he prepares every day or works hard. There are no questions about that. They don't question whether he plays hard. You know, they just – the only thing with Jared is is just like 
that when he fails, it's hard to be around him at times when he was younger, especially because he just was so – he just couldn't understand it. He couldn't process failure very well. He got so frustrated by it. And I think he's handling it better now than he ever has. I think that's important, too, that he's doing that. And, um, you know, oh, I know, I think he's liked – I don't know that everybody kind of knows him. Again, like for a long time, Jerry was just kind of this idea of, of, you know, prospect and potential and power and this and that. And I don't know that he ever really let everybody in on who he really is or isn't. I think that's something that will grow with time. But, you know, he hasn't also been in, in like, a stable situation either because he's been back and forth. You know, he's had multiple teammates because he hasn't stayed up with one team for very long. So I think he'll come around. But, yeah, no no complaints about about what he does to get ready to play a baseball game. If anything, I like to tease him about smiling more and stuff like that. And I think it'll come around eventually. Hey, Ryan, they've used uh, in 11 games, they've had a number of different guys leading off, you know, whether it was Julio, whether it was Haggerty for a game. Colton Wong seems to be getting that job a lot. Do you think they're trying to find we've we've heard them comment on, you know, whether Julio should or should not be the the leadoff guy, not based on ability, but he's your best hitter. You want him in a position to drive in runs and do damage. So do you think they're they're trying to find that guy that could be the leadoff hitter and, and maybe put Julio down in the two or three spot or how do you, how do you, or is this just spring and we're just putting guys into different spots and seeing what it looks like? I think it's probably the latter. Like they're just experimenting. I'm, I think they'd love to find a guy that they felt comfortable having bat leadoff and then have Julio bat second. You know, maybe that is Colton Wong, especially you know with a right hander on the mound, he hits lefties or hits righties pretty well. Maybe that's what he wants to do. I think it's possible, um, but I mean, I don't think, you know, they're not going to force it. They're not going to just sit there and say, look, we have to have this because, you know, A and B. If it, if it doesn't work and they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel like this guy could do it, then they're just going to go with, with Julio because they know that works. <laughs> they know. And you know what? It makes sense. If, if, you know, if that means one extra at bat a game, then that's the one person on the team you want to have the extra at bat, isn't it? And I mean, they believe that their lineup is better than it was before to the point where there'll actually be more consistent base runners on base from the bottom of the order so that Julio won't be batting with nobody on base the one time around, only except for the first time of the game. Hey, uh, Ryan, what about JP? I, I know that was something that uh, that you told us last year, that he didn't hit a ball very hard in spring last year. I read an article he's trying to trying to change that a little bit. Or what are you seeing out of him? Is he is he starting to hit the ball a little bit harder? And what about uh, the, the rest of his game right now? Yeah, I think it looks better. Uh, you know, he's another guy. He went to driveline baseball in Kent, and they, they did all the analytical breakdowns and all the, you know, they put all the sensors all over you and measure your strength and your bat speed. I think it's been better. Um, you know, he understands kind of a little bit more what he's supposed to do. Now it's another thing kind of enacting it in games, but, you know, he'll benefit also from the lack of shifting. He'll help. That'll help him a ton. Um, you know, he'll spray the ball around a little bit more. So I think it's been better. He seems stronger. He has hit the ball harder, but, you know, with him, like last year, it was really bad in spring training. And then all of a sudden he got, you know, the first month of the season or first two months of the season, he hit like 380, you know, which wasn't sustainable. So, you know, we'll see. But I think it like the idea is at least hearing him talk about what he's trying to do at the plate is better than it was before. Um, you know, more involved with his legs and all these things. So we'll see if that carries over. Hey, one guy we were we were getting a little excited about. We were hearing about for a few days anyway. Was that was Evan White? And I don't know what a realistic expectation is for him, Ryan. It's just I know when you watch him at first base, as good as Ty France is there, and I think Ty's a very good first baseman. 
you see how special Evan White is, how natural and fluid. He just he's just special there defensively. Uh, you know his his problems obviously at the plate and, and durability, availability. What do you have any expectation of him this season, or is, is it how how do you view his role with this team right now? No, I mean, I expect him to go to Tacoma and start the season and play a lot, you know, and I guess if something were to happen to Ty France, he might be the first guy they look at. You know, he hasn't really, I think he's what, played about 40 games total, minor, major league and minor league over the last two years. And then before that was like the 60-game COVID season. Like, he just hasn't played a lot of baseball and he hasn't been healthy. So, you know, this the problems with his swing, the problems with his approach, all those things still haven't been completely ironed out because he hasn't played enough games. You know, there were stretches last year when he was a little bit healthy where you thought, okay, even in the spring you look at it and say, okay, this looks a lot better, uh, but, like, he needs to get out there and play, and that's what the Mayor's you – know, he's going to go to Tacoma. He's going to play every day, and, you know, if you look up maybe 300 play appearances from now, he's putting up numbers, then they look at something. Maybe, you know, you look at it a lineup that because they don't really have a true DH, and, you know, they don't want Ty to be the full-time DH, but you can maneuver some things. And maybe Evan is a guy that helps him off the bench because he can also play some left field if necessary. So, yeah, I don't expect anything from him to start with, but I don't think it's unfair to expect that maybe he finds a way to help them towards the end, whether it's as a defensive replacement, you know, type of guy, allowing Ty to play some first base or some DH because Ty got banged up last year or something like that. Hey, Ryan, um, you know, Chris Flexen seems like he's having a good spring, and I guess that shouldn't be a surprise. He, You know, he's a, he's a good, solid guy. But anybody else that uh, in the pitching staff that stands out to you, like Baroa or McKagan, anybody that uh, has kind of flashed? No, I really like um, I like Bryce Miller a lot. You know, he's thrown 98 the other day. He's got a couple different sliders. You know, he's, he's our top pitching prospect, so I guess it's not, you know, like he's not really surprising anybody that he's good, but like, you know, just the way he kind of goes about it. He's like this dude from Texas, Hill Country, I think, and just really chill and doesn't get really too excited one way or the other. He's got some real stuff, and he can help them, whether it's as a, as a spot starter later in the year if they need him or as a guy coming out of the bullpen if they need him. You know, he's he's legit. Prelander Barrow is the same way. You know, you get him for a trade for Donovan Walton. This guy's throwing 99. He's got a nasty slider, and he's even out of the changeup. So, you know, I think – both those guys could help them in the bullpen coming this year. I mean, like, you, you remember what uh, charge that Edwin Diaz added to the bullpen a few years ago when he got called up, and he went Munoz when they kind of let the reins off of him last year and just let him go because it's just such power. You know, the Mariners lost Swanson, and you still don't know with all these other guys, Castillo, some of these other guys. I mean, if you can get an injection of those kinds of uh, power arms, yeah. If you get a um, power arm like that coming in, I think it's pretty pretty legit. Hey, where, where are you at with Cade Marlowe? Are you somebody that believes he could be the offensive help maybe they, they need, or do you think he's he's not quite ready yet? Where, where are you at with his development? I mean, he's pretty interesting because of the speed, and there's a little more power than you think. You look at him, it's not, it doesn't look like super smooth or pretty, but he just kind of figures it out. Um, I think he can help. I mean, but I don't think it's right away. I think he needs to go to AAA and play a little bit. You know, he'd be jumping. I mean, he's played a handful of games with AAA over the last two years, but, like, not enough to where you sit there and say, okay, this guy really understands what a big league pitcher looks like in terms of being able to spot a breaking ball, whatever count they want. So I think he'll end up at AAA. I mean, honestly, had, had Taylor Trammell, um stayed healthy, it would have been a very interesting uh, roster case to see if they could keep both him and Kelnick on the roster because, um, you know, he, he would provide some pop off the bench and fill some needs. Because, like, right now, 
you know, Tommy Lestella just doesn't look like he's a guy that's going to really help him. He doesn't look healthy. He hasn't really played. And you just wonder how much he's actually going to help them this year. Hey, uh, wait a minute, Bob. Did we ask him about the shoulder strap bag uh, divish? Did we? <laughs> no, I when don't think we did. they flashed that picture of you up there, is that something that you're sporting down there? That Are we going to come uh, down and see you in that? Please say no. I think, no, I think that was, we all know that that was some um, photoshopping. And, you know, I will get Kevin Martinez back for this. You know, for that. I mean, like, it's like Goldsmith. I'll get him back for some of the stuff he's done to me. You know, I mean, do you guys, you you guys got a list. Kind of know how I am. Yeah, you guys know how I am and where I'm from. I, I usually handle that kind of business. Right? Divish is like psycho from Stripes. You just made the list, pal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I I like that he's got a list developing here. (laughs) Hey, Ryan, um, what about as far as the the pace and, you know, the pitch clock and things like that? Is that – I know for people that work and the the players, it's it, during the game. I mean, it's it's a godsend, right? You're getting home a half hour early. But uh, anything, any criticisms? Uh, no, no, not at all. I mean, it does feel a tick fast maybe because I have to pay attention more than I did before. You know, I usually <laughs> keep zone out. Um, so I, I could zone out a little bit more than before. But no, it does. You know, I, I just wonder if the owners are going to like the idea of 220-minute games where people don't spend as much money on $15 beers as before. Yeah. You know, and I mean, as slow as, C, as T-Mobile was at times in terms of service, somebody goes to the line to get a beer, you know, they could miss three innings, three, four innings. You know, <laughs> I just don't know if that's great. I mean, so I'm kind of at the, you know, I'm wondering if they maybe add three or four seconds to it. You know, you think about that, three or four seconds to a pitch, and there's 200-some pitches in a game after a little more time. Yeah. But I, I like the pacing of it all. I mean, like, they play two games that have been longer than 240 this spring. Usually those are games that are 340, so I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah. What about the other moves that they, the you know, the disengagement from the rubber, the bigger bases, the shift? Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of like all of them. The bigger base seems like a it's non-existent. I don't really notice it. I, maybe we'll see yeah. more steals and things like that in the regular season, but to this point, I haven't really noticed that at all. But what about the other rules? No, I mean, I like all of them. I mean, the disengagement thing, you don't need somebody thrown over six times in one at-bat, so it's just pointless. They do it to mess up the rhythm of the hitter. They're trying to make sure, you know, for your, you know, it's a foot or something that they might, you know, keep a runner closer and that may be the difference, but it still takes too much time. So no, I, I like, I like those. I mean, I like the lack of a shift. You know, it's weird sometimes now because you see a ball hit and you think, well, that's caught. And then because they can't shift, it's actually a hit. And it's a hit for a hundred years before that. So I, I like those too. I mean, it'll be a very interesting year to watch. I mean, you'll see, you'll notice it really in the first, but I think the, the regular season games will be a little longer because they have commercial breaks and some stuff like that too that may push them just a little longer. But the pacing of it has been great so far. Divish, I don't think we've been down there since 2019. Maybe it was 2018. What's the name of that little dark establishment that we went to that was a pub? Uh, it's called the Moon Saloon. And, Moon, um, Moon I Saloon, just, yes. I just want to let you guys know that you know we're no longer frequenting that place very often because – they changed the whole decor, and now it looks like an airport bar from oh. Ikea. Well, this, there's <laughs> yellow. There's so much yellow in that bar. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a bar next door called Biggs, and it's dark, and they kind of have hardwood. And it's a lot different. It's just like a sports bar should be, what the Moon Saloon used to be. It's right next door. 
So that's where we can go instead. All right. I, I thought it was about the food and the drinks. I didn't know it was about the decor. Oh, I, I'm with Divish. I love a dive bar that, you know, it's not yeah. fancy and you got older stuff. We used to have a place yeah. at Stanford that was a Quanta hut that was called the Old Pro. Mm. Dick and Betty always behind the bar. Yeah, I mean, the Moon Saloon, they went, they went disco, basically. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do I look like somebody that's going to be sitting in a well-lit bar with uncomfortable furniture? No. No, you don't. No. All right. Ryan, we appreciate it, man. Have fun at the mall. Do Just do your job. Oh, yeah. Just don't talk back. Yeah. Do your job. Uh, but uh, we, we appreciate it, man, and we'll, we'll see you soon. We'll be down there uh, on the 18th. All right. Sounds good. Dave's buying. You that's got right. it. <laughs> Thanks, Divish. See, see you, buddy. Guys. There you go. Ryan Divis joining us live from the what is it, Scottsdale Mall. Is that what he said? Yeah, the big. you ever been to the Scottsdale Mall down there? No. Yeah. I've been to Scottsdale. I, I didn't go to the mall, Spend though. Spend lots of time there. I used to yeah. live like two blocks from the mall. Now, would you spend time in there because it's air-conditioned and it's, you're not cooking outside? <laughs> yeah, that part I didn't hate, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, when I was playing in the league, I would always leave at you know June, right when it gets really hot. Mm. But there was two years that we lived there year-round. The biggest problem living down there is if you have to park your car outside. Oh. I had a black interior. It was a oh. car that we bought in Seattle. And, uh, yeah, I went golfing. And it took me like 20 minutes to cool down. I had to turn on the car, get the air conditioning going. Yeah, and then stand outside of the car while you can't cook the back of your legs on the seat. Yeah, just so my skin wouldn't, you know, <laughs> stick to the to the seat. But That's when you got to get one of those big reflective silver things you see people put in their windshield yeah. and all that. That's yeah, I didn't have one of those. Right? Yeah, those definitely help. Goodness. All right. Well, our thanks to Ryan Divish. If you missed any of that conversation, it will be available on the podcast page at seattlesports.com. After the show, coming up, the Geno contract doesn't close the door on the Seahawks drafting a quarterback. We'll hear about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Once again, our thanks to Ryan Divis, who joined us in the previous segment, live from the Scottsdale Mall. <laughs> He's out there in front of uh, Orange Julius or whatever the heck they've gotten there these days. I can't even think of the last time I was in a mall. Yeah, I I haven't gone to the mall in a long time either. I went to the Apple store to buy a new cover for my phone mm. on the way to the buses to go to like L.A. last year maybe or somewhere. And then it turns out that you can't just like go and get something from the Apple store and go up to the register and pay for it. You, you can't? Wait, you wait in line, and then they come around with a thing and stick your card in. And, and then all they sudden, go and get it from the back or something? I don't know. Yeah, no, I pulled mine off the, the wall, and then all of a sudden I'm like, where do I pay? And they're like, point to the back of the line. There's a bunch of people standing there. In, oh, with their iPads or whatever? Yeah, I guess. Wow. Anyway, I've, so I was like, all right, there you go. What are you looking at? Is this an old man segment? Yeah, <laughs> I, just, I just looked back yeah. at it, Taylor, and said, well. We've turned into our old man segment of the day. <laughs> That's fine. I got no problem with it. I just think it's weird that you can't. You know, we like haven't a, done a What's Bugging Bob this week because of the schedule. There's no cash so. register. Yep. <laughs> where do, who do I give money to? How does and, this work? And where was the phone booth? <laughs> you know, they, but they did have a pretty good grip on what an Apple wallet was used for there, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. yeah much yeah, well, much That's better good. than me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that. Apple where do I go? Wallet. Where do I pay for this? What's going on here? Yeah. I'm like, I get money. Oh, no cash. Oh, really? 
Uh, people used to prefer uh, that. Here, but, uh, here come the old man texts yeah. any minute now. Meanwhile, uh, Gino signs a big contract out there. But does that preclude this team from drafting a quarterback if they want? Now, that's that's the most important part of this. We have no idea what John and Pete are thinking, and they're not going to tell us. We haven't. I was telling you before the show that whatever they have had at mind and in mind at number five, whether it's a defensive player or a quarterback, whatever it is, I don't think the Geno signing has had any impact on it whatsoever. I don't think it's changed their strategy at all. I think they're dead set on this is who we want at this spot, regardless. Yeah, could be. I mean, we'll find out afterwards. Or it could be, you know, that, okay, if A happens, then we're going to go to plan, you know, B, and then we go C, D, E, F, like he talked about with uh, anytime somebody gets taken off the board. I mean, you know, and I think the, the probably the biggest secret by far are who are the players in the first round this year that they think are first rounders? Because anything that they, if they get to a slot and every one of those guys are gone, I mentioned this before, like Thibodeau. I mean, I guess if he was available maybe in the second round or something, they would have taken, but they just weren't going to take him. They didn't have him evaluated that high. So, um, and for for various reasons. But But, obviously at five, they've got more than five people, I assume they believe are first rounders. So I would hope so. Yeah. So, and again, that's assuming they stick with that spot. We don't know if they're trading it. We don't know if they're going defense off. I mean, they they are such a such a wild card. Predicting what they're going to do is is lunacy. But well, and we asked the question, you know, would you be mad if you took a quarterback there? And I guess they've kind of proven themselves with quarterbacks. Yeah, I'd be I'd be fine with Except it. Except you had to bring up Charlie Whitehurst. That was painful. Well, just to point out, they're human. <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody's batting a thousand. <laughs> but our, uh, yeah, and he got paid a lot of money too. He got paid a lot through his career just to be a back. Like Gino, I saw the the story yesterday. What was it? He's made a total prior to this deal of seventeen point five million in his career combined. His entire than, career, not entire, his career. His entire career, okay. from day one of the Jets to this to the moment he puts his his name on the contract. Seventeen point five million for you, young man. How about that? Gosh. All in one year, no less. But uh, Pete Carroll on with Brock and Salk talking about whether they would still consider, assuming they were considering drafting a quarterback, would they still do so now that Geno's been signed? We, that uh, that opportunity is absolutely there. We could do whatever we need to do, you know, and, and uh, um, which is a whole nother, you know, discussion of what's really exciting. And, you know, the coaches are working at it and the scouts are working at it to try to position this thing. When there's only you're at five, this is different than we're used to seeing. You know, this is really fun because you can pretty much predict what, what's going to happen with, you know, four different choices, you know. So which one is it? And, and uh, so um, it's, it's, it's we're alive and all, you know, uh, and all guns are blazing here. That's a unique way of speaking. You know, we're alive and guns are blazing. Well, the other thing (laughs) that I wrote down that, like, I feel like we grew up kind of in the same area, Northern California. He also uses the phrase whole nother. Whole nother. That's a whole nother. (laughs) I I say that all the time. I'm like, "Eh, that's not really a word, probably. That's okay. It gets the point across. But yeah, I mean, he, he talked about the predictability of, I mean, for the most part. Uh, it seems like those those top five are fairly solid. Most some people have Jalen Carter number one. Some people have you know Bryce Young number one. But yeah, and some people have the Bears trading out of that spot and the Texans picking number one. And the yeah, yeah who they have the Texans picking was it? 
Was it Bryce Young? Or? I think they might have been – there's been so many mocks we've looked at. Yeah. I can't – it's probably been one of all of them, to well, be honest. They, they changed, too, because I saw Jeremiah kind of moved his around. We were talking about that uh, Torrance kid, yeah. Cyrus Torrance, but uh, he, he moved him a little bit. So, yeah, it seems like it changes. And I'm not sure if his changed more, but I know his didn't change. I'm talking about Daniel Jeremiah after the combine as radically as a lot of other people. Yeah, I don't know if everybody's gone on and redone it immediately. It'll be interesting to see when they, you know, when we get 3.0 Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and they, you know, make a big deal of releasing their next version. Uh, I saw a couple, I can't remember who did them, but uh, Anthony Richardson moved way up. In fact, yeah. one of them, he moved up to number, was it three? So he, they had a trade in there, but he he was the third quarterback taken ahead of Will Levis. Yeah, I, I which swear is new I'm not trying to one up you, but I think I saw one where he was taken first. Oh, really, Anthony Richardson? But uh, yeah, so I mean that was just it, it's just ridiculous. I think it's fun for people, and like I said, you know, yesterday there's a big difference between the media guys and the guys that are hyping up the combine. This is great for the NFL. Just Huge. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, look at they're overtaking the conversation right now, and it's in the dead of the off season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the draft's not till the end of April. Yeah. So this combine thing, you know, the free agency thing will kind of bubble up here and there, but then the draft is going to be the next thing. It's it's pretty amazing. Well, we'll start hearing about doing. their individual workouts in between because they they yeah, all got they, they they were showing that during the combine. I'm sure you saw that like. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud's workout is on this day, March, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and Bryce is on this day and Lev- Levis is on this day. And, you know, so those will be news points where we're going to hear about how great everybody looked, hopefully. And right. and then there'll be a mad dash to, to you know, grab a quarterback. And that's that's hoping that the Seahawks, in that, if that's the scenario, I'm hoping that they weren't set on a quarterback because then you could see teams jumping them to get in position to draft ahead of them. Or maybe their pick just becomes that much more valuable. It just depends on what they want. But Pete Carroll talking about the quarterbacks, uh, describing what he likes about this year's crop of quarterbacks in the draft. These guys are all, they're, they're singling themselves out in their individual ways that they have. You know, uh, that it's, it's giving you some choices of style, you know, and, and uh, a background. You know, these guys are smart. They're, they're so grooved. I and mean, they've just learned so much football. To hear them in their meetings, they just rip off protections and concepts and routes and adjustments and line of scrimmage and changing the plays and all of the things that they know how to do. Different than the nineties combines. Not calling not calling the huddle as much, but they're calling they're doing everything. Right. It's just as at the tip of their tongue, you know, to, to control whatever they need to control. And they're so fluent. It's really impressive. Uh, and these are just college kids. You know, they're just yeah. getting here. You know, to know as much as they know is just knocked us out. That's got to be something if you're a quarterback, if you can get up there and knock that part of it out. Say, you know, well, we call it this formation, you call it this, and we want to get this protection, and then and he's able to just, you know, fluently go through the whole thing. I mean, that's got to – and this is where, you know, we talked about the, the interviews. Yeah. You know, and it's not just like, um, you know, what would you do if this guy, you know, slapped you in the face or, you know, how are you reacting in life and things like that. It's, it's about football. Yeah. Know? And, you know, where – what your your background is, your knowledge, and that's where I, I would think quarterbacks would really be able to sort of turn the room a little bit by being impressive up on the up on the chalkboard. Did you see any of uh, uh, Mariucci in his his interaction with the quarterbacks? It yeah. seems like a Gruden type thing that Gruden used to do. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who I saw him with, but uh, yeah, I saw him. So he, quizzing him. Yeah, the way he's doing is he's up there on the grease board and he's he's 
calling out a play and he's, you know, giving all the particulars of the play and this is a Z, blah, 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 slant here and this guy here is going to be the outlet, blah, blah, blah. But then he sits down and starts talking to the kid about other things, mm. you know, about whatever. You know, what do you think your strengths are, weaknesses? Oh, yeah, so you did that at school. Hey, do you remember my play? Yeah. You should go up there and do it. So it's like he shows it to him, uh-huh. and then there's like almost a distraction. Like, let me take your mind off that. I'll just talk to you a bit, and then it turns into all right. You remember that play I showed you? Yeah. And then they go up there, and and as they're doing it, they've got a sound effect. Ding, got that right. Ding, and then wow. this guy's going to come here. Ding. That's impressive. That's yeah, cool. It was pretty cool. The one thing you screwed up about that story, though, Bob, it's actually called a chalkboard. <laughs> they were using a grease board, but whatever. That's fine. Uh, pretty cool though to see their recall because yeah. I'm sitting there going. Okay. I don't know what the hell the guy said. I was just watching lines and numbers and names, and then, then he got into another conversation. I lost my focus. All right, so there you go. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about Gino and uh, his, his new deal and what it means to this team. Meanwhile, there's another potential option emerging for the Seahawks on defense. We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Dave, I saw a story last night about a guy that's going to be potentially be cut by his team that could be of some use for the Seattle Seahawks, whether they want to go free agent, the free agent route, draft, a little bit of both when it comes to helping uh, fill some of the gaps about Leonard Floyd. Yeah, he he's had he's had good games against the the Seahawks. I remember in 2020. That year, I want to say that was with a playoff game. He sacked Russ like five and a half, five times. He had five and a half sacks, I think. In the three games that they He's kind of like Cole Calhoun. You know, yeah. like it, <laughs> he's just a thorn he, in their side. He just yeah, always has a good game. I felt that way about Robert Woods too. Like yeah. Robert Woods would always, especially in a timely way, just find a way to just get wide open. So yeah, Lefko's a big Robert Woods fan. So he <laughs> no, really excited about his contributions to Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Julio Jones, Robert Woods, <laughs> great, con- great contributor. Hey, at least you got rid of A.J. Brown. I mean, that yeah. guy was really screwing things up. <laughs> oh, man, that's tough. <laughs> Are we going to derail this and talk yeah. about the worst wide receiving cores of all time? That again? is tough, man. But yeah. he's, the word is Rams are expected to release release him if they can't trade him. They're going to try to trade him. If mm-hmm. not, he's got a $22 million cap hit uh, in 2023. And if the Rams cut him before June 1st, They'd incur a $19 million uh, hit of dead money in 2023 and save just $3 million. So they'd, they'd like to uh, cut him and make it a post-June 1st cut, and that would cut the dead money to $6.5 million against the 2023 cap. Well, not that this matters, um, but I didn't realize it was 6'5". So yeah. he's pretty pretty tall and lean. He's a good pass rusher. I mean, he gets 30 years old. Yeah, he's, yeah, that's the thing that, that stood out to me. Um, he's hit double-digit sacks uh, his first year with the Rams, 10-and-a-half. He's had three nice years. Yeah, yeah, almost, what, 30 sacks there in, uh, in three years. So, yeah. yeah, he's been a good contributor. And Hasn't I don't know, missed a game in the last... Uh, not since his first couple of years. Yeah, and I don't know, was he starting or was he hurt? I don't know. His So his first year, with the he was came up with the Bears, played 12 games his first year, 10 the next year. In 17, and then has not missed a game since. And 
18 through 22. It's gone 16, 16, 16, 17, 17. Yeah, it's funny when you watch him, uh, you know, he's, like I said, he's kind of tall and lean, and but you see him move offensive tackles off their spots. I mean, he's he's also got a decent amount of power. So, you know. Does he fit? Georgia guy. That was my thought, and that was the question I asked I in our notes. Does he? Do you feel like he fits what they're trying to do, what they want to do here? I don't remember seeing him drop into coverage, and that needs to be an option if you're an outside backer in the 3-4. But, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think he's a good, solid performer. He plays the plays the run well, and, yeah, I think he's he's a good player. I, You know, I would – who would I want back here more? I guess it him or Bobby Wagner. I guess it would be Bobby just because of the sentimental value and things like that. But who who would they need more? That's another good question because, I mean, uh, earlier I would have said if... You, you know, can't give yourself good question. It, <laughs> so I didn't say great. <laughs> Dave's over there asking questions going, that's a good question. I asked, I asked myself a great question the other day. But I had we used to work with somebody who would always say, yeah, I'm surprised I think that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Isn't thinking it the first thing that you... There shouldn't be a surprise in there. I surprise myself yeah. with what I think. But I mean, you know, I think as far as what do they need... I think they need an outside presence a little bit more. And, I, you know, if if they do end up going, uh, you know, I don't know who they're going to get in the draft, but, you know, you got your quarterback locked up. You know, maybe they go center, offensive guard. I mean, you know, there's all – but somewhere in, along the line in free agency, they need to do a lot of work on their D-line. So trying to remove the sentimental part of it, the nostalgic part of that, and let's say you've got these three guys that we've talked about, Leonard Floyd – Bobby Wagner, who you just brought up, Frank Clark, all going to be available here. Who has the biggest impact on your defense? Who Who's the one that comes in and fills a, a problem area more than the other two? Well, Floyd, uh, Floyd or, or Frank Clark, you know, and I guess I would I would go Leonard Floyd. I've always liked him. I've always yeah. thought he's a good player. Maybe it's just because we face him twice a year and he was a past and he has he ends up having, you know, I mean, if you had asked me that year in 2020, how many sacks did Leonard Floyd have? I would have said 19 <laughs> because it felt like it, you know, because the, the success he had against the, the Seahawks. But I don't know. And I, I just I feel like they need a, an edge rusher um, more than they need a Bobby Wagner type. Yeah. It's it's amazing what he did. You look at his years with the Bears, seven sacks his rookie year, and then four and a half, four, three, and he wasn't missing games. So I don't know how he was being used or what was going on, but then his first year with the Rams, ten and a half. Then the next year, nine and a half. Last year, nine. So he's obviously either just found what was making him, you know, the key to his success, or they used him differently or I don't. I don't know. Was he even starting with the? I don't know what his role was with the Bears versus here. But it's such a dramatic turnaround. His final year there, three sacks in sixteen games, and then ten and a half his first year with the Rams. Yeah, was it twenty twenty or was it twenty nineteen when the Rams were just number one in everything? They they their defense was really good. Then their coach yeah. ups and leaves and goes to uh, Brandon Staley. San Diego went to the Chargers or, so. the, or L.A. I guess now. Yeah. yeah, that's San Diego to you and me. Yeah, so right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know maybe that was uh, him. You know, getting the right coaching and thing, and that's that's something that uh, I think has really come into play this year. That it really matters who the coach is. Yeah. You know, yep. I mean, if, if you're if you're coaching a guy up right and, and getting that done, and I think that, you know, the, the Seahawks really do a good job with that. But look what they did with, 
you know, I mean, we talked about the quarterback position, but also just, you know, some of the remember defensive backs that left here for a mm. while just mm-hmm. didn't have success anywhere else. Yeah. But and it's not just the Seahawks. I'm I'm talking about, you know, some of the some of the coaches around the league that have have really done a good job. They'll take a player that nobody else could could motivate or get going to to have a good season or a good career and they they turn them around. You see that every once in a while in the NFL. Yeah, they they find the right voice or whatever. Who was the cornerback that they they had come over here that couldn't get the kick step. Kerry Williams, Kerry Williams. I believe. Yeah, he, from he was Philly. good before he came here. Yeah. So maybe he had the right coaching there, and they figured out the right buttons to push with him, and he came here, and it was like, it didn't it didn't click at all. You know, it's funny, Jamal Adams, and everybody learns it. Like, I think KJ was teaching it to Jamal Adams, and I was watching in 2020 um, when only a few of us got to go out there. And I watched Jamal Adams start doing it, and I'm like, oh, that looks kind of rough. And then, like, within five minutes, he had it. He, he was done. He was just like fluid. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got this. Yeah. And that's, I still just so impressed and we haven't really talked about him. I mean, there's lots of talk about the, the needs, but we don't really talk about safety. However, you know, if he's not going to be healthy, that's, that's, yeah, that's a huge, another one to keep an huge eye problem. On. All right. So do we have confirmation on Brock? He's going to be in studio with us. He's in route. He's uh, apparently on his way here. So maybe it'll be another join us from the parking lot on the phone as he rushes into the building and then. He'll join us live in the studio. One one way, shape, or form, he's going to join us next. The one, the only Brock Heward. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710.